Maybe today's the day I break 80 Want the ball to draw, but it keeps on fading No OB and no bogeys I gotta keep it on the 80, it's the gold Would you hit it on one? Straight up the gut, baby Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings Little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy So punch out the rough and tune to break 80 Break 80 episode 32 of the break 80 podcast and it's the week of thanksgiving in this season of giving thanks i need to mention that i am very thankful for my voice this week i think it's finally back and i couldn't be more excited um with that being said we welcome mike and tim what are you guys thankful for this season tim you can say tinder if you want uh no no i i, I wouldn't <laughs> say that i would say that uh, uh golf trips and the golf schedule coming back up um, some, some good things on the horizon and, uh, for, uh, the old beach ball for Alex beach to be on uh, a little bit later in the segment. Very grateful. Well, most recently I'm, uh, I'm thankful that that Vikings Cowboys game is over. Uh, <laughs> that was hideous to watch. Um, yeah, I don't know. Golf wise, just thankful for playing golf with good people and having a good time, I guess. Oh, I I'd like to add the live tour. <laughs> all right well I, I wrote down a couple of things golf wise i'm thankful for i'll start with high noons how good are those on the course oh i uh i had two on the interview you'll hear, hear later so those are delicious i also have plastic teas i'm i'm getting to the point where a wood tea i just i like having like one tea in my pocket i have to worry about it do you guys hit plastic teas uh i will i like a wood i like the look of a wood classic wood tea better though but you know I basically, whenever we play I, fancy clubs, I just grab a handful of whatever they have. So if it's uh, plastic teas or wood teas, whatever, <laughs> my bag is just full of free shit. You know what? I've, I've got uh, a very specific tea. It's a uh, two and thir- uh, three quarters plastic tea with the American flag on it. That way you tee it down to the same height every time. Oh, so it's a, it's a certain that. spot on the stars. When Every you time. are a generational ball striker, you have to be exacting. It's got to be right to the <laughs> you, it is just, It's an absolute science out there. Um, I got, I got, I'm thankful for golf apps. I mean, like all the c- cool stuff that you can do on some of these golf apps from like swings to keeping scores to like having all these fun tournaments that everybody can see leaderboards. I think that's a pretty cool thing. Um, I've got rain gloves. It's hard to play golf without rain gloves. Second best um, invention I got the of intermediate. What is? Wranglos, second best invention oh, of all time behind the internet. Yeah, that's right. And how about this one? I'm thankful for intermediate cuts. Of rough? Yes. Of the, you know, you're you're you can't. I, I don't like when it goes straight from thick rough to from fairway. I like that little just slowly work us into the rough, and it gives me more opportunity to have a better lie. Oh, I'm, Jeff. I'm, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Where you played intermediate rough because I mean most of the the places you have to play cost more than two hundred bucks with any intermediate connections, rough. Tim, connections. All gentlemen, right, well, gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen. Let me let me fill you in on real golf uh, because once you get overseas to Scotland, and you play Lynx golf, you will realize 
there is no fucking rough. You just, it's all fast and firm. And if you hit it in the fescue, you still get a hit out of it anyway. It's way better. It's just a little rant about how much better Lynx golf is than our bullshit we play most of the time. So, so prior for the listeners, prior to us hitting record, we're all talking about taxation and theft and uh, (laughs) Mike's ability to, to write off certain things under his eBay LLC and us possibly LLC in here and and what we're going to do. Jeff, I think, I think what we do is we buy Mike a sheep or a couple sheep for his backyard and they can just mow down the grass and he can determine how good the rough really is come, uh, yeah, and if I heard, I heard if you put sheep on a golf course, you can also write things off. Yeah, the Trump, yeah. the Trumpster oh, yeah. does. <laughs> Agricultural um, site. Bury, well, bury, bury something back there, Mike, and you can write the whole house off. Oh, yeah. I got awesome. five more things I'm thankful for. Um, dog leg oh, rights. Oh my god, dog leg rights. Those are those are fun. You're a lefty. I know. I, I like to play that. I, I'm kind of like Mike. I think I draw it, but I think I faded the ball more this year than. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Yeah, wait till um, I, wait till I hit the draw. You got to remember to hit the draw. Wait till I get the left dot golf ball that Alex was talking about, the low spinner, and I'm just gonna hit everything straight as an arrow. Um, I got mallet putters on here. I've got hot dogs at the turn. Now this Best. one you guys will appreciate. The best part about Whistling Straits was the hot dog at the turn. They had a fantastic <laughs> hot dog. The only thing that went right that day was the hot dog at the turn. It was a real low bar. <laughs> All right, well, final two, Zoysia grass. I just love the density. And then um, a scorecard double. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be thankful for scorecard doubles. The old handicap reprieve. Uh, I love the gym. Goodness. So... Well, we well, got. What do you I, what do you say? What do you say to jazz clubs? Say you know, a jazz club. I always make sure you're pairing with golf. Top five. Bad jazz is not top five. I'd say jazz clubs and supporting local moms. <laughs> any any good golf trip has to have those things in it. That they just make the trip. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. and uh, and Myrtle Beach. You could have a lot well, better golf courses than that shithole. Well, let's let's not let's okay. We're gonna cover pro golf. We've been in two, you know, for two weeks. There's lots of stuff going on in pro golf. Tim's also gonna give us a little bit of an ode to one of our um, course designers here that's got his hand all over Minnesota. He passed away recently. Um, kind of deep dive into his career a little bit and what impact he's had on Minnesota golf. We're gonna bring back a segment called Mike's Musings, where Mike just kind of sounds off on whatever he wants to sound off on. Damn right. And then we'll end with the interview um, with Alex Beach, Minnesota native and PGA professional. So that's kind of our, our topics. Let's start with pro golf. Anything that you guys over the last couple of weeks want to point on? Um, I should mention Tony Fino back in the winning circle. I think, um, you know, continuing his hot play for the summer. And then last week um, we've had, uh, well, Brom won this week. And then in PGA Tour, Adam Svensson Got the dub, but we got a couple people that have been playing pretty well that we've got some connections with, and we'll chat about that a little um, some more. Anybody else want to um, sound off on anything that happened in pro golf? We talking RSM Just, here? We yeah. can do. We can start most recent RSM. Uh, Callum Terran, our guy, second place. That's right. That's kind of what I was alluding to. Callum Terran could have a great 
season here. Kind of had a sneaky tail end of it um, last year. Played awesome at the uh, um, 3M. That's kind of where we met him, and, and he's continued some good plays. Sahith Tigala was kind of in the driver's seat for a while there. Um, the Bulldog, Brian Harmon, the lefty, also played pretty well this week. So um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch a single swing, so I can't even comment on anything from the golf tournament. So I don't know if you guys have seen it or watched it. Anything else that you guys want to talk about? No. I mean, good golf course, Sea Island. But the DP World Tour is way better field. Okay, so that I mean that kind of leads into the you know world golf rankings and things like that and debates. I know John Rom commented on it, things like that. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about the European Tour here, Mike? And then we'll go back to the OWGR. Yeah, they played at uh, in Dubai at something called the Jumeirah as Golf Estates, the Earth Course. They're very uh, wait. Uh, is that what Rory was sponsored by? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think he won like their season something, didn't he? This was their this was their tour championship. So he won the season points thing. Rom shot twenty under. Uh Tyrrell Hatton and Alex Noren were eighteen under. Rory was fourth and sixteen. Matt Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood tied for fifth. It's a really good field. Um, you know, all the best players pretty much were kind of up there, except for Hovland was twenty third and Shane Lowry. But um yeah, they made they probably made a little more noise for their some of their comments about the world rankings, whatever ROMs. Well, so they're saying the RSM got more world ranking points than the Dubai. Yeah, even though correct. the Dubai had way better field. But then they're also coming back and saying the RSM had a deeper field, with more players in it. Well, I think it's yeah, it's in general that the the PGA Tour in general gets way more ranking points than any DP, you know, the DP world tour events don't get shit for ranking points compared to the PGA tour. Even, even if the field is loaded in the DP tour and there's nobody at the, the sea Island, but I think the, when they make the, the, the world golf rankings, you know, that's going to be the sea Island one could be lowered. If the players chose to, you know, chose to go, you don't know you're in, you're out, who's going to show up and who's not going to show up. I suppose theoretically, I mean, you kind of do. It's not like the Barracuda is going to be filled up with all the best players, but I think that's the. I think theoretically, that's the idea with the golf rankings is that the PGA Tour event sh- could be have the potential to have the best fields all the time, even though you know, like a lot of times nobody shows up, like the 3M. You know, it's it's a bit unbelievable that they don't show up for this based on the designer, the course, the the setting. Uh, because I've got a little bit of a gripe with this. Uh, looking at a Jacksonville trip right now, the possibility to play TPC Sawgrass. I'm sure Mike has his own opinion about that lovely course. Hey, hold on. Let's save Sea Island and Sawgrass for Mike's musings because I'm, I can go off on those no, two. You can, you can cover this later. You can, you can do what you want with this. There's one classically designed nine there. Uh, so part of the, the course is designed by Colt. Uh beautiful beautiful course and if you think back to other classic courses on the tour they get massive fanfare so riviera massive fanfare huge show up uh but this one for some reason just doesn't get the the prestige that other classic designs do um and there's a mixture of courses so there's a cult and then there's a fazio designed around a cult which 
I mean, you couldn't ask for a better combo. Um, so I think it, the fact that the players aren't showing up for a beautiful location with an easy airport, you can either do Jacksonville to, to Sea Island or you can do Savannah down, which is a little bit longer. Um, my gripe is, so going to Jacksonville, likely, maybe, February, uh, to play Sea Island, you have to stay. It's a $1,300 hotel room. Mm. And uh, and a three hundred dollar round after caddy fees, so you're looking at sixteen hundred dollar total round at Sea Island to get to get a top one hundred off your list for which, eighteen holes of golf. For eighteen holes of golf, I mean, granted, I, I would. There's two eighteen hole courses there. There's the Colt um, Seaside Nine, and then there's uh, an additional nine by Joe Lee. Not familiar. Um, and then the the additional eighteen done by Fazio. So there are there's multiple courses to play for your thirteen hundred dollar room, but I mean there's no spa package included. There's no drinks included. There's not a meal ticket. There's a hello at the gate and uh, you park here, sir. Kind Who of pays uh, that. Well, those without kids for Jeez. our. <laughs> We'll save uh, we'll save that for Mike's musings. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> well, we also had, I mean, I don't kind of just moving a little bit forward here. If we go back two weeks ago, we had Tony Fino. Um, got another W at the Houston Open, I believe. Yeah, um, is basically. Do, I mean, does, dominated from what I could see, tell. Does he break out in the majors finally? And he actually has a pretty good major record of like top tening, but does he finally win one? I, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? I mean, what, a couple years back or last year, two in a row, this year, three, three in a row that he played. So just gets on a streak. Playing the Titleist uh, left dot, probably won. We'll talk about that in the music. Uh, and and Alex Beach in the interview will explain that a little bit. It, it, that's. I feel like that's what we need. Whistling would have gone so much better with that golf ball. Oh yeah, we probably would have broke eighty-five at least from the, 80, <laughs> the eighty-six that the eighty-six um, that I fired in that wind. When I think of Tony Finau, I just think of you know you talk about an athlete that's playing golf. I mean, the dude is an athlete, and it seemed to me that he's always known for having some of the most. I don't know if you call it. I know he works hard, but lots of natural talent doesn't. You know, he's got a lot more in the bag if he wants to use it, you know, in terms of swing speed and power. But the fact that he's now learning to win is, I mean, you you, you talk about, you know, confidence and getting a guy closing, you know, a, a, a tournament, which he's always had a tough time doing. I mean, even going back to the 3M, you know, he kind of put one in the grandstands on 17, put one in the water on 18. But when he's just dialed, I mean, he, I don't really, I know his putter's been kind of one of his weaknesses, I say, I think, out of all of his game. He just seems like he's really hard to beat. I mean, he just makes shit tons of birdies constantly. And he actually even plays pretty decent on tough tracks, which what majors are. So if he continues to think that he's the best player in the world, which he pretty much can display that. I mean, you've seen him in some of the biggest events perform well. I mean, look at the Ryder Cup. 
You know, he's played really well at the Ryder Cup, which is what, from what I hear, and I'm just going off of some of the best players in the world, the most nerve-wracking time to perform. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Okay. Um, maybe first, maybe just first tee jitters, but still. I don't know. Looking at the major courses next year in 2023, I think he struggles. Maybe I mean he's been in contention at Augusta before. Remember the year he like sprained his ankle and then he was he was leading after day one or whatever. But I gotta think under pressure there on those greens, the chipping and putting maybe gets him a little bit. Um, I don't know. LACC, Los Angeles Country Club. I'm not sure about if that'll set up for him or not. Probably not. And then the open is at Hoy Lake, you know, which is like Tiger didn't even hit a driver. So you're hitting a lot of irons and stuff, you know, which probably, I, you know, his strength, he can rip the driver. That's one of his strengths. I don't know if, if that really sets up great for him. And then I don't know, Oak Hill's been all redesigned and everything. I'm not sure. But with that being said, he's good enough to win any of those two, I guess. But it'll be interesting to see where, where this goes because he's been, what has he won three times in like the last, since like July, three or four? Three times he won Detroit. He won the 3M. He won this last week. Maybe one other time too. He's been hotter in hell. Yeah. Yeah. No. He's he's been winning like crazy, and I we'll have to see what decade golf does for his game and somewhere like Hoy Lake, right? The the idea of hitting a fairway and then hitting onto the green and and hitting it to the center has gone away. So um, some of his his driver head speed could take a lot of bunkering out of play and put it into a place where a steep face bunker really doesn't matter anymore. Um, you might be right. Cause you think about the open last year, I think that's where tiger really and was, and even Rory, maybe a little bit there, they play like tiger's old classic way of playing it, you know, super conservative layback really doesn't work maybe anymore with these young guys, just ripping it around, making birdies left and right. Uh, and you know, because that's how Tiger always won was be conservative, don't make mistakes, tear up the par fives. But new equipment and everything, I, I don't know. How how can you forget about your boy Cam Young, right? Yeah, Cam Young's stud. Well, anything but, else uh, on the pro tour? Pro. Well, no, good or, good or bad for us, right? We got to get him back. Fino has to come back to Minnesota. So uh, the better he does, the better the 3M does, and that's the better the Break 80 podcast does. Yeah, they got a shitty draw on the schedule again next year. Um, hopefully with the new tour deal, with the rotating events that are that are weight, weighted more, they'll, they'll get the 3M one year somehow in that. Then you'll get a good group of players, but not next year. Don't worry. We can always go down to the JDC. Even worse yet. <laughs> I, I, I can get us some caddy jobs down there, no problem. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Tim, talk to us a little bit about Joel and what about, he did to Minnesota. Uh, oh, goodness. Well, so uh, first and foremost, um, surprisingly enough, I, I'm shocked that Mike is not a fan of Joel Goldstrand. So and for those that don't <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to savage a dead guy. (laughs) Uh, Joe Goldstrand, who is a very predominant golf architect, um, golfer in in Minnesota. He's a predominant golf architect. Well, number of states, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, a, uh, former professional golfer, uh, 
very much a standalone within the state for uh, for really golfing hierarchy uh, and an inductee recently into the Golf Hall of Fame in Minnesota. So uh, Joel grew up here where he actually uh, played basketball and golf for the state, uh, won a state championship with basketball and was recruited based on his, not his golf, but his, his basketball talents, uh, both to a Juco and then eventually to university of Houston. So I figured Mike of all people with your basketball background would have a hearkening back to Joel Goldstrand for everything that he did. Well, I mean, basketball aside the university of houston when he played was like one of the for golf was one of the best uh programs in college even up into the 80s with like fred couples and stuff but uh i think he won two ncaa championships as a team with houston so the guy could play he was on, the, he was on tour for eight years yeah I, I the quote coming out of of joe goldstrand was oh my god all these guys are doing so well on the tour and i i beat them all in college why don't i just go try yeah a much uh, kind of the Jack Nicholas story. And, and those that aren't familiar, Jack came out and kind of tried his way with some insurance sales along with golf. Um, Joel Goldstrand kind of did the same thing. Some insurance sales got back into golf. And I think his, his best finish was a, a T12 at the U S open. He played in the masters um, too. Qualified played the masters attempted to go back and this is how this is how hard it could be for the podcast attempted to go back after competing in the masters and was turned down at the gate so <laughs> we're gonna need to find a little bit better than just being a professional golfer to get onto augusta uh, we just gotta get the right green jacket we can walk right in yep uh so post post golf career kind of wrapped up his time on the pga uh went back to um god was it was it minneapolis golf club that he was a pro for a number yeah. of years and he really yeah. started to take off in course designing yeah he was minneapolis golf club so i just i want to read off a couple of the courses here for those that don't know um i'm gonna go straight to mike's heart at the very first one with bemidji uh, not a, not, a, not, a, not not the original design but he redid it an excellent redrew, though. So, Southern Hills. Some uh, some scar tissue there for the podcast, but still a <laughs> mainly good for, mainly mainly for <laughs> mainly for you. Although if we wouldn't have got yeah, fucked yeah. Over, if I wouldn't have got fucked over by that that rake on seventeen, we would have we would have won that match. You know, as I'm looking through all these courses, it's just nothing but uh, but PTSD. Because uh, <laughs> the next one up is Lesur. Yes, baby. <laughs> Love that whole five design. <laughs> and then, uh, then we got Shadowbrook, uh, Minnesota National. Back up to Lazur. The, the uh, oh. I think the the true measure of a great golf course designer is when it, when a guy can make bogeys, pars, birdies, doubles, triples, albatrosses. <laughs> it's got just a variety, all, all in the same nine hole stretch. Yep. There's scoreable holes and there's hang on your hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really thought you'd lost the uh, the entire day when you hit 
I think it was what number two, the par three, just deep fescue, looking left of the fescue into the wrong fairway. No, it wasn't good. Oh. Jeff's uh, Jeff's hometown course is a, is a goals friend. Monticello. You can't pass Monty CC. So I'm looking yeah, at this. I'm, Country Club. I'm looking at this list here of goals friend courses. I'm gonna tell you right now. I think Bemidji Town and Country is his best work. Although, oh, I don't. No. Bemidji, so Bemidji is, is one of the, is like one of the fifteen oldest courses in Minnesota, but he redid it in probably the nineties sometime, I think, and it's not a good piece of property, but it's good. Like I know he did the Pines, I hate the Pines, so uh, he did he did North Fork too and the Owatonna Country Club, but Bemidji's good, really good. So Owatonna looks like a really good piece of land. Driving by it, I know a guy. Remember so that? Anyone- we probably get on. Any any listeners to the pod? Mike's contact would love to get on. Also, I'm surprised. Links at North Fork. Come on, Mike. That's your your course. Well, now we know who the culprit is of hole 15. <laughs> the, the worst design. The worst designed. The worst designed golf hole in the entire fucking state of Minnesota is uh, hole 15. But I, I I we won't put it all on Joel. I, I like most of the rest of the golf course there. So probably my favorite course is is Fox Hollow. Only played it one time so far, but uh, really, really enjoyable golf club um, or the bridges. And I know that they've really got a long history, hopefully, because we'll run out of some content later in the, the winter. I'll go over golf history in Minnesota, spend a whole flight because I um, had to take a Southwest flight into Chicago for work. So spent uh, my hour and a half reading a golf history of Minnesota book, but we'll cover that later. Uh, the Bridges actually has a harken back to one of the first 20, 25 courses built in the state. That was a an addition of Gold Joel, Gold Joel Strand. Joel Goldstrand later on. My apologies. Um, and then finally, St. Croix National. A little That's bit nice. disputed here, but well, I, I want to add one to, to the list as well. I mean, he's got tons. Was it over 100? Something, something like that? Over 100, quite a few retired, unfortunately. Okay. Well, I want to add one. It was a, a course that I played at my bachelor party up in Detroit Lakes, Wildflower. <laughs> Wildflower. Love that place. Yeah, I haven't played there in a while. I always just play the country club when I'm up there. But, yeah, Wildflower's all right. He's got a lot of... Um, I feel like it's a lot of, and this is not his fault. A, a lot of the courses that he's designed probably don't have the budget for the, for the upkeep. If you look at them all, you know, like, uh, Montgomery national, Kimball, Shadowbrook, they're kind of, they don't have the money. You could tell when you go play there <laughs> to keep it in lush condition. So that's kind of like, uh, but that's not his fault. Kimball's kind of sneaky good. You guys ever played there? No, I heard it's kind of hard though. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh it's it's got some, you know, kind of fun quirky holes, but I, I definitely would think if you're out west and you're around there, it'd be worth playing it. Just that don't was... play it in the fall when there's leaves. The pod will be going to Bemidji next year. We got to go. It's good. All right. Well, while we're talking Minnesota golf courses, let me bring this up. Uh in the newest Golf Digest, 
magazine, there is a segment called or a section called uh what do they title it here? America's worst golf holes. The 10 most head scratching designs we love to hate. And there is a Minnesota feel to it because hole number four at Keller made the list. For those of you that uh, have played Keller, that's the par three with the giant tree right in the middle of the fucking fairway or right in front of the green, which is not really in play. Um, but uh, it talks about in here how the locals refused to get rid of it the guy that read it when they redid keller richard mandel he wanted to remove it and just get rid of it and have a straight up par three and the locals refused to get rid of it so they kept the tree in the middle of the um in the middle of the fairway and golf digest says it's uh right in front of the putting surface often shots turning (laughs) turning the hole into a two-shot par three (laughs) (laughs) So that made the list of a golf digest 10 worst holes in America, I guess. Apparently. No sense. It's an eight iron at worst. Yeah. The tree, if you hit a good shot, the tree is not in play. You hit it over the tree. Maybe back in the day, you yeah, get a, I don't know. you get an old iron with a, an old blotta, and then you're hitting six iron over the top, and it gets a lot tougher. But I, I don't, I don't see it. Or, you know, the, the forward tees and you're, 70 years old you have to put it under the tree i could see how that would be problematic yeah yeah i mean in the article here it says the only way past it is to launch a soaring perfectly struck shot over the top or try to punch something lower on the trunk and i'm thinking from the tips it's a pitching wedge it's like 140 yards it's like you don't hit it perfect you just hit it high and it's fine generational ball strikers do not deal with that tree they don't see the tree i bet the tree doesn't even exist (laughs) yeah no. Um, well, we're we're kind of right in there, Mike. How, why don't you keep going off Mike's musings? Let's go right let's, into it. Uh, before we get to Alex's interview here, let's muse about a couple of things. Tim was talking about Sea Island, so this brought this this got me thinking about how bullshit some of these green fees and some of these things are in American golf. So, did you give the price, Tim? Well, I wasn't paying attention as much there at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So Sea Island uh, priced out alongside what you're going to muse about more. Uh, but Sawgrass is all of an hour and 45 minutes away. So so figured I could make a combo trip out of it. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, this, it's a stay and play requirement at Sea Island, and it's $1,300 a night for a double queen um, and another nearly 300 after caddy fees for the round. So, uh, so American golf is so fucked up sometimes. <laughs> So Tim's doing the top hundred public and needs to play Sea Island and Sawgrass. If your trip was just one night stay and play those two rounds of golf, peak we'll say peak prices, you're paying like Sea Island for because you have to stay like sixteen hundred dollars. Then you go to Sawgrass and you got to pay eight forty right now for like the for like the peak price. Your trip is going to cost more than what you're going to pay for like a whole week at Pinehurst when you go. Which is com- just absurd, just fucking stupid, ridiculous. This trip isn't for the the weak of heart. Okay. <laughs> People that come over to the condo, each one of those pieces of illustrated art are worth a thousand dollars each, based on the green fee. <laughs> if I dropped eight forty at Sawgrass, and I'm on the seventeen T, I'm loading every I'm unloading every fucking ball in my bag trying to hit, <laughs> hit make a home run. If if anybody complains, I'm like, 
half off. I paid almost, I paid a thousand dollars for this round after I buy a shirt. <laughs> I'm hitting every golf ball I have at that, at that Island. <laughs> I don't well, give a shit what anybody says. Hey, that's basically just, what the pros did this year at Sawgrass. Just not the left dot. Yeah. Yeah. The le- well, speaking of that, that was another absurdity. So the, the pro V one left dot was in the news actually this week a bunch because Tony Finau plays the left dot ball. And when, if you keep listening to Alex, uh, Beach's interview we did at the very end, I asked him kind of, he's a Titleist guy. I asked him about the left dot and he'll explain it all how it works. But, um, so I looked on eBay for probably one left dots and the cheapest I could find for a dozen, cause they don't just sell them. You got to get them from like pros or whatever. $170 for a dozen left dot pro V ones, which oh, is just gosh. insane, completely nuts. Um, but yeah, they're like a low spin ball. A bunch of the pros are using them now, I guess, but it's actually keep listening at the very end when Alex, his whole interview is good, but he talks about like pro V one golf balls, how some guys are still playing like 2017 versions because they like them. It's actually quite fascinating to listen to, but yeah, some of the cost of things just, just drives me up the, up a wall. Cause you can go and play in like Scotland, North Berwick and like the old course for half the price of a peak rate at Sawgrass. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Makes no sense. Just based off a couple holes. I mean, Sawgrass has a couple holes and that people know and like, and Sea Island has, Sea Island has exactly zero holes that anybody would recognize if you asked them, except for the one with the, with the, the bridge in the back or whatever the hell it is. I figured you'd be all about that. Is it's a Colt Allison? Yeah, no, I would love to play the golf course. I'm not going to pay damn near two grand after you eat and everything to play it. Holy shit, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> As I've told Jeff many times, just sell more fluids. If I'm going to play, <laughs> if I'm going to spend two grand on golf, I'll just I'll just trespass onto Pine Valley and play and pay the fine when I get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> not tip pod, just uh, yep. pay the passing fee and. Play all the golf you want. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's our new plan. <laughs> oh my god! I think we're onto something. Yeah, this could really feet. be a cost saver. I don't know. It'd be tough to probably pull off all eighteen holes, but you never know. No, no, no. I uh, from our time at Augusta Ranch. Uh, shout out to the finest golf establishments in Scottsdale. Uh, uh, I still have glow in the dark golf balls and a oh, one thousand yeah. lumen flashlight. So I think in in your true spirit of golf and my true spirit of golf, just don't putt. Just pick it up. True. That's true. We could do what we do on the simulator, 45 foot gimmies. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if Piners would honor a course record if you if you broke onto the course trespass and then you took 45 foot gimmies and just ripped it up. <laughs> That's or, affordable uh, enough. Pine I Valley, thinking, I mean. I was, yeah. Pine Valley and uh in Cypress Point. Just us with glow in the dark balls. Nothing like Carding your lowest round ever at Cypress do, Point. We might have to do a little research onto what the uh, fines and fines and things are if you get arrested for trespassing in some of these states. Because it can't for a first time offense in a state. We know we know in the United States they don't they don't they do a terrible job of sharing information. If we get arrested for trespassing in New Jersey, we probably could go to Cyprus and get arrested in California, and they wouldn't even know we're multiple time offenders. They they let us off a slap, we got, a slap I, on the wrist. This is um, this is a movie. This is fifty first states. 
We have Give 50 states and we've got 50 courses of, of nothing but freedom. What if we broke in? What if we what if we trespassed in Cypress Point, somehow got all 18 holes in, and then they arrested us and they go, we're going to give you a three hundred dollar fine. Oh, OK, sure. Whatever. I'll, I'll pay it. I'll gladly pay it. Oh, and, my arm. and you don't get spear tackled like you do when you jump onto a, a, a absolutely boarding oh, yeah. event. This is the, this is the way you're tackled. They probably come up really nice. Hey, sir, you're not supposed to be on this property right now. <laughs> Just let me finish this pot. OK. Yeah, just let me miss this putt, and then we'll we'll be out of here. I can't a, I can't wait for the well, what are you in for conversation? <laughs> yeah. You know, like a real a real hard and criminal. Yeah, you're waiting. You're waiting in there in, in the general pop, and they're like, oh, we Tim will be in his RLX polo and some and some metal spikes, metal cleats, and oh, we we trespassed onto uh, Los Angeles Country Club. <laughs> Well, at least I wore the only weapon allowed in prison if I'm in metal spikes. So, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm I'm creating a prison gang right then and there. Break eighty, absolutely. All right, Tim, take us take us home. Let's introduce us to our our uh, interviewer. Well, so next up, we've got Minnesota native Alex Beach out of Stillwater, Minnesota. Uh, absolute pleasure to have him on. Have known him for years and years now, uh, but really come to. I would say the forefront of Minnesota golf with his performances, both on the PGA tour and uh, kind of an individualized tour and tournaments out in the New Jersey, New York area. And then also the PGA players championship. It's gone under a, a couple different namings throughout the years, but has placed in the top 50 or sorry, the, the top 20 year after year after year, after having quite a bit of a, uh, heartache there at the start. Well, podcast, the long-awaited interview. I think uh, maybe the the most special interview to my myself is as Alex Beach and myself have a common friend uh, by the name of Matt Chamberlain, uh, but also one of the the only people that listens to this podcast that has enough class to get on to private country clubs uh, <laughs> is off immediately. Uh, Alex, I want to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to see you again. Yeah, yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, wanted yeah. to first start off, ask you your size, pants size, shoe size, because I see right now you've got an RLX shirt on, and I think <laughs> that you're still sponsored by them, correct? I am. Man, we're diving right into the personal stuff. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm still hanging on to a 33, 32. Um, you know, as I'm getting older, that's harder to keep, but uh, shirt size kind of waffles between medium and large, depending, but, um, yeah, you know, that's what all the workouts are for trying to, trying to keep that in check. Well, uh, you missed my sizes, Mike, maybe your fitness goals will lead you down into to something where oh, yeah. Alex... we got, we, we're going to have to have a hardcore, uh, winter. I'll be there again. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there again tonight. I think post pod, I'm over here drinking high noons and, uh, <laughs> Alex, I understand that uh, you're more of a um, a seltzer guy as well, right? I have been known to partake. Um, I, I try not to uh, share too much of an allegiance, but I've I've been known to have a white claw or maybe a high noon or two uh, when when the time is appropriate. Now, a couple wedges were stamped, right? So for those that that want to yeah. get with oh, with some oh really customization. Yeah, I like to have a little bit of fun. I mean, I think that's kind of my general mantra. And 
you know, I'm lucky my good friends at Titleist uh, buy into it. So yeah, over the years, we've had many different things stamped on the wedges, but white claw flavors have frequented. Uh, sometimes there's some Taco Bell uh, homage paid as well. And uh, could be anything else just based on the mood. But uh, yeah. Hold on now. So we, this is like my left-handed twin. Bulky guy that loves Taco Bell. Holy shit. I perfect. love it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Last wedges I think I had. Well, Crunchwrap Supreme is on this one. Casamigos Soda Lime. Uh, white Claw Flavors. Uh, on my lob wedge nowadays, I stamp Don't Throw Me, just as a subtle reminder not to <laughs> throw clubs anymore. And I think people that played with me know that that can happen. Um, but yeah, you know, just the whole thing with golf, you know, we'll get into other things, but I like to have fun with it. I like to, you know, bring the people and the the friends and family I've made in this game with me. And, um, and those are certainly part of the journey that's keep me fueled up on the road. So uh, it, how much does the, the crunch wrap Supreme spin? Do you have to really kind of hold off the finish on that one? So it doesn't come <laughs> ripping back. It depends. You know, the, the newer the wedge, the, the more spin you get, but um, yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I, I'm lucky to travel a lot and, and those are always a hit when people see it. They're kind of in disbelief at first because you know, here's this guy that's supposed to be good and take it seriously. But, you know, I'd like to blend those two worlds. But, uh, yeah, the, the Cheesy Gordita Crunch treated me well for a long time. Baja Blast never misses. Crunch Wrap Supreme at any hour of the day is usually a hit. So, um, yeah, we, we do what we can. See, this nice. this might get me to change wedges right here. Not that I want to change from the mirrors, but if Titleist is doing stamping of, of a Taco Bell allegiance, I might be all about that. Absolutely. Um, so... You mentioned travel and obviously very well traveled, uh, something like nine PGA tour events, um, multiple qualifications to the PGA championship and your golfing background from both Stroll to, um, Oh goodness. Where else were you? Uh, can you give us a breakdown of some of the clubs you've been to and, and kind of the new adventures that you have going on now with your, your snowbird lifestyle? Yeah, it's been a crazy, you know, fun ride, but, I mean, where it all began back in Minnesota, you know, where I was born and raised and, and grew up, um, our house was on Oak Glen. I mean, this is well before, you know, you mentioned earlier, getting into these private clubs. I mean, I, I wasn't that guy, you know, I was lucky Stillwater Country Club, Mike Tracy, they had a junior membership where uh, my folks weren't even members yet, but, you know, for a few hundred bucks all summer, I could go and play. And that's where I met a lot of people, played high school golf in Stillwater. And then, um, went to school at university of Nebraska and uh, did the golf management program in addition to some other things. And I did internship uh, two summers at golden Valley country club, uh, which at the time for me was like my first time leaving the East side of Minneapolis. And so I went to the West side, uh, worked at golden Valley for two years, which was great. Um, two summers, two, three month summers. And then you know, I really wanted to see both coasts. So I took a job at a place called Forest Highlands, which is up in Flagstaff, Arizona, um, top hundred club, a good college buddy of mine was working out there at the time, loved it. And then the following year I did an internship at Congressional out in DC, uh, which was the year they had the U S open when Rory won. Um, and you know, some of the fondest memories I have, I'll circle back to when the PGA came to Hazeltine in was it 2008, maybe. Um, I went and watched and I have some pictures with like Rory and some guys that were playing and we both look like infants, which is funny. Um, 
And then fast forward, uh, worked at Congressional for a year, then moved down the street to a club called Burning Tree, which is a men's club in Washington. Spent my winters back in Scottsdale at Desert Mountain, um, you know, kind of really holding on to that Midwestern tie. I love it out there. And, you know, after two years of doing that, I was ready just to kind of keep growing. And every job I've taken in the business has had a sight on, you know, becoming a better professional. Um, and eventually the playing thing started to kind of take over it early in my career. And I think everyone would attest to this. You know, I was good. I played four years in high school. Um, I chose not to play college golf for a number of reasons. And then, you know, got into this this golf world. And I was like, you know, if I want to become the best person that's going to do this like what do i need to do so i learned you got to work for reputable clubs and and professionals who have a network that can help me um but then how do i like have my own success and i've always been a competitive guy i grew up playing a lot of baseball and hockey back home and you know golf i'm self-taught so it, it, it came to me maybe a little later but i had a ton of mentors when i left dc and moved to new jersey and worked at a club called ridgewood uh which hosted the u.s amateur last summer um maybe flies under the radar a little bit of top clubs in the Northeast, but it is an unbelievable place. And I worked there for three years, um, started competing in the New Jersey section, which, you know, many would agree is probably one of the stronger playing section. There's a lot of former tour players that end up there. And, you know, you get into this culture of these private clubs and the pedigree and like, you know, in the Northeast, you kind of earn your stripes based on how well you play, you know, one of many factors, but if you're typically a good player, you kind of get a lot of these invitations and exemptions and things of that nature. And it's competitive, which I kind of sunk my teeth into. Um, then I went to Baltusrol, which is obviously a very world-renowned club. Um, spent two great years there with that membership. And then, you know, I got a phone call from uh, Ben Hoffine, who's my current boss at Westchester Country Club. And they were looking for a guy who you know, just wanted to to play and, and teach golf and really be an ambassador for the club among, you know, some other duties as well. And that's where I've been for the last four years. Um, so I've really been lucky to work at a lot of top 100 clubs, um, you know, and then the PGA Club Pro World, I've been able to compete a lot of events, um, travel a ton. And then every winter for the last seven, I've come down to Jupiter, Florida. And that just is an effort to keep playing year round and you know, avoid seeing snow, which uh, I've done plenty of in my lifetime, as I think all three of us have being from Minnesota. Um, and again, I just keep putting myself in situations where I want to be put up against the best. And, you know, you mentioned I've had you know, 11, gosh, 11 or 12 PGA Tour starts. I've played in five majors, you know, won two PGA National Championships, played on two PGA Cup teams. And you know, it's fun to sit back and kind of spew out those facts, but they've all kind of happened so slowly, and you know, building up and growing and becoming whoever I am now. Um, it's been an incredible journey and I've been lucky to meet a ton of people on the way. And, you know, even yourself and gosh, you know, back when I went to college with Matt and, and we met and, um, you know, rest in peace, but it's, uh, I don't think anyone would sit there and expect this is where I ended up, but uh, it's been a fun ride and, and we're not done yet. So at West at Westchester, are you considered like a playing professional out there then? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. I mean, like the Met section's a little different than some others in the sense that, you know, playing is a very important part of just about everyone's repertoire. Um, you know, that's the reason why a lot of people like myself have moved out there. Um, 
you know, the jobs are arguably a little better. There's maybe some more money to be had. Um, my role there is just teaching. Um, it would be unfair to call me a playing pro because, you know, that would entail that I'm out playing with guest groups every day. But, you know, what it allows me to do is kind of create my own schedule. Other jobs that I've had in the business where, you know, you're running tournaments, you're uh, running the shop, you're doing, you know, you've got a legitimate, you know, 40 to 70 hour work week. Um, the position I have now allows me to teach uh, when I'm there, which I really enjoy doing. Um, you know, it allows me to support playing. Um, but if I'm away from the club for a tournament, for example, like there's not work falling onto someone else's plate. So it frees me up to kind of, you know, chase this. And, you know, the last couple of years I had some status on the Corn Ferry Tour and I've had some starts on the PGA. So they've really allowed me to, you know, chase this dream of mine. And uh, I'm incredibly grateful for it because it is tough to find in the industry. But uh, yeah, when I'm on property, I'm, I'm playing with the members, you know, teaching a bunch, um, doing whatever I can to help out. But then when I'm away, they, they're giving me 110% support to uh, go make birdies. I'm surprised more courses don't do more of that where the pros go out and play. Like if it's me, I would get almost so much more just bullshitting about golf, learning, learning as you play than just sitting there banging balls in the range all day long. I I totally agree. And I've in my small way been an advocate for that, you know, and it's, it's club specific. It's unrealistic to think that every club can support that. Um, you know, the industry, it's, which is a whole nother conversation as a club pro has changed so much, you know, these clubs are really requiring a lot out of their pro, um, there's a lot of great jobs out there, but there are some clubs that just don't really care, you know, what your playing ability is, um, which is sad, you know, it's, and, and it's not to say that there are a ton of great, amazing golf professionals who aren't the best players. I mean, that is not the only aspect of the job. Um, but for someone like myself where playing has kind of been one way that I've stood out and, you know, something I'm passionate about, it is really nice to find clubs that, are interested in having that and allow you to play in a competitive section like the Met section and, you know, even the Minnesota section. Now, last week I, I played with my former roommate, Andy Smith, who's at Hazeltine and Kyle Scanlon. I was at Northfield and a bunch, you know, there's a ton of really good players there. And, you know, the, the end of the day, we all love to play golf. So it is really fun when uh, there are opportunities to do that uh, with some support. What, uh, what desert run courses, like they have that little setup with different, courses where did you work at down there at desert mountain yeah um i bounced around a little bit i spent i remember the first little chunk of time was at renegade which is the one uh kind of bottom of the hill with two greens on just about every hole um and then i worked at cochise geronimo which is the one where they've got two courses working out of the same clubhouse and then my last year was up top at chiricahua which is just beautiful i, I loved it out there i really did Tim and I played nine holes on Cochise this August until the lightning and the storm came. I'm 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 buddies oh. with Matt Gordon. I'm buddies with Gordo. Oh, Matt, Gordo with, with Matt Gordon, yeah. So Mac, we know each other very well. So I've played those two courses. I, I think Gordon. we could have snuck two holes in there. Oh my <laughs> god, I have never seen a course take on water as that place took on it that day. Holy shit! Well, they don't get a lot of rain out there, you know. But every year I was there, it snowed too, which they don't sell you that in the pamphlet. <laughs> Moving to Arizona, you think it's going to be beautiful, but it's the same in Florida here. You know, we played the other day; it was fifty degrees, and it felt like it was thirty. So, oh, don't so. don't say that. I'm coming down in in December for Stream Song and Bay Hill. 
it's hit or miss, but it'll be better than Minnesota. I promise you that. Well, you mentioned kind of a slow build to, to where you are now and had in the notes here three different times you missed by one stroke. Um, did a, did a, something just flip one of the years? And, and now it seems like every year you get back in because even this year was a bit of a grind. Last round at, uh, at Barton Creek, right? Yeah. God, I mean... Well, the, the the missing by three by a shot three years in a row was to qualify for the professional national championship, um, and those were my first couple of years as a pro. And, and you know, here I am. I don't know anything. I'm starting to you know really get into this competitive golf thing. And the as a PGA professional, that national championship, the, the name keeps changing, but PGA professional national championship is the marquee event. You know, it's televised. It's an opportunity if you finish in the top 20 to make a PGA championship. And, you know, the hardest thing with golf, and I've said this a million times as it reflects life very well is it's really hard to win. So you have to lose a lot to figure out how to win. And, you know, even like in other sports, like athleticism can just take over, you know, in hockey, when that puck drops, you can be as nervous as you want, but instinct takes over and you just go golf. You've got, especially on tour, you know, you've got, five hours out there battling elements, battling whatever else is going on in your life, the good things, the bullshit. And it's just like, as you get down to it, you know, what's at stake, you know, and you hear these tour guys, which they're honest and you know, even like, like Harry Higgs is a good friend of mine. And I saw an interview he had the other day about like his recent struggles and it's, it's real stuff. Um, You know, so eventually when I got into that tournament, you know, that took some weight off your shoulders. I'm looking around, I'm young. I'm like, how am I going to compete against all these names that I've been looking at on leaderboards forever? Um, You know, again, even though they're club pros, a lot of these guys come from different walks. They've played on tour. They've had success. And the competition out there is no joke. I mean, it's 312 players. So they all had to qualify somehow. So they're all, you know, in some regard, the best of the best. And when I finally got into one, kind of got to see it, became a little more comfortable. Um, I want to say it was my, the second one I played in was the first time I finished in the top 20 and, and got into the PGA championship. I was working at Baltusrol at the time, which the ironic part there was they hosted the PGA championship the summer prior. I wasn't working there at the time, but like the club had just seen the event, all the members, you know, they hosted it. And now all of a sudden, Hey, here's one of their pros going to play in it, um, which was really cool. Um, and, you know, so I show up to Quail Hollow for a PGA championship and that's a holy shit moment. I mean, you're, you know, you get to the airport, I have no idea what to expect. Um, you know, a lot of these mentors, guys that had helped me, you know, they gave me all the information they could, but there's really nothing you can do to prepare yourself for playing on that stage. Like I've tried to relate it to people. It's like, all right, let's say like we're all members at the YMCA and we're really good basketball players. And all of a sudden you get a call that you get to play in the NBA all-star game. Like that's really how I have to compare it because here's me just a kid from Minnesota that is a club pro, you know, at this point I'd never played in a tour event, you know, in regional things. Yeah, I'm pretty good. But now I'm standing on the range next to Tiger and Rory and DJ and a hundred and, well, outside of the 20 of us, 136 of the top people that play golf every day of their life 
it's like it's an out-of-body experience and it's like how do you normalize competing against them and uh, i mean i played wednesday of that week with just luke donald um at the time he was a fellow polo guy and i you know i had some friends mutual and we're out there talking and he's you know hearing my story and he's like impressed and like you know ultimate respect going both ways and we just started talking about the life i mean he was a former number one player in the world and here i am out there you know i'm signing autographs you've got you know fans everywhere they're you know figuring out who you are they're cheering you on they're booing you like the scariest thing in golf that i found is inside the ropes you can hear everything and unfortunately the people can say it from the other side going in whatever they want but we can't say the same thing going back as much as i'd like to sometimes um and it's tough but yeah it's it's been a crazy journey and like i said earlier you know every experience i've had taught me how to prepare for kind of the next one but unfortunately there's just certain things like playing in a, a major like i didn't play mini tours i didn't play you know a, a top division one golf team situation in college which it I think is why so many of these young guys are coming out and having success. They've kind of played on a version of a tour for most of them for a very long time, whether it's through AJGA's high school, college, you know, they're traveling on jets every weekend to play tournaments against the other best players in the world. Like, of course they're bred for that. They learned how to hit the ball far and like speed and they've got coaches and like, I didn't have any of that. So I'm really out there with like a pen and paper trying to figure the hell out. And, you know, now that I've played in, five and i've had some success like the hardest thing is believing like what i did to get me there is good enough to keep me there and um and it's just it's such a crazy life i mean playing professional golf on tour is wild um it's a lot of fun and you can make a ton of money you know it gives you the opportunity to do a lot of great things with like communities and kids and um you know golf is such a common ground for people and, and that's what i love about it i love meeting people i love hearing their story i love sharing mine finding commonalities i mean you meet golfers and all of a sudden you have something in common you know and i'll be honest like when i travel a lot i don't tell people what i do i don't wear golf clothes I'm just a normal guy work whatever because as soon as you just a real right? guess what you're talking about for the next three hours and you know listen i've met some incredible people doing that but there's just days where you want to get away from it maybe how did how did things change because harding park right at 2020 i believe uh pga mm -hmm. champion 2020 you were the low club pro yep so you really made your stamp you're here to to stay in essence uh how, did that change anything mentally for you that you know you're here and and now it's not just beating the club pros that you did twice that year to qualify in there uh but now you're taking an aim at moving your name up the the leaderboard yeah i would agree with that i mean uh, going back, so 2017 was the first PGA in Charlotte. Uh, didn't play much the next year, just work got in the way. And then I made, uh, well, I, I also won the that PGA National Championship. Um, I had been at Westchester for two weeks. I was still down in Florida. I went to Belfair in South Carolina and played great and won. And winning that tournament gets you six exemptions on the PGA tour um, in that tournament forever. Uh, you know, a very nice paycheck. Um, and I think that was kind of my coming out moment. That event 
having played in a couple P or at least one PGA championship at that point, I learned a lot about like how to compete and how to keep things relative. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm out here playing against the best players in the world. And I remember I played my first PGA with Kevin Na, Sean O'Hare in the first two rounds. And I beat Kevin. I beat Phil. And so like these little statistics that like don't mean anything meant a lot to me in the sense of like validation. It's like, okay, I might not have played my best. I was nervous. Let's be honest. But I just beat, you know, I've never finished last in any tour event, usually far from it. So it's like, okay, I can do it. Then I, you know, I win the national championship that fall. I won the assistant professional national championship. Two weeks later, I went the PGA cup, which is our Ryder cup, the top 10 playing club pros from the States play the top 10 from Great Britain and Ireland. Then I went to Q school and I was like, I can't beat these guys. When I get my tour card, I make it through Q school. So all these things are starting to build up. Like maybe I'm good enough to do this, you know, and it's hard. Cause again, I don't have a coach. I'm like the black sheep. I'm a club pro guy. I'm just, you know, some kid that'll sell you a shirt and fold a sweater and pick the range. But every little step allowed me to get more confident. So then I played Beth Page in 2019, which I played well. I was just really hard course, really hard conditions, um, but had like such an outpouring of people from Jersey and New York who I had worked with or members of the club or friends. I'll never forget standing on the the my first hole on Thursday was number 10 at Beth Page. Now, Beth Page has become one of my favorite courses. It's also probably one of the hardest golf courses in the world. And starting on the back nine is incredibly difficult. And I got paired that week with Sean McKeel. And initially, Davis loved the third. He got hurt. So I played with Sung Kang, which many people probably didn't know Sung Kang, except for the fact he won the week prior. So I'm out there playing with a guy that just went on tour, Sean McKeel. I tee off at like 141 on Thursday and the 10th tee box is right next to the ninth green. And who was finishing on the ninth green at the same time was like tiger DJ and maybe JT. I forget the group, but it's like powerhouse group. So there's thousands of people out there. So they finish out. They're waiting for us to tee off. I have to tee off third. I think maybe Sean went first. Hits his shot whatever people clap song can comes up a couple people clap they announced my name and the crowd goes wild and these two guys look at me like who the hell are you and i'm like I don't like shit man like whatever and it, it's like it all starts to sink in like and that's been one of the coolest parts of the whole experience is and like matt chamberlain was there again like he made the trip and like all these people who are, have I've met in different walks of life, like took the time to come and watch me play and cheer me on. You know, if they couldn't make it, they were sending messages of support, you know, my family included. And that has been the coolest single thing of this whole journey. But, you know, I'm out there and there's all these people. And even to this day, people are like, oh, Alex, I remember seeing you at Beth Page, Hole 12, you know, and it's like, holy shit. So I'm wrapping my head around it. And all of a sudden, I think after that week, I sat down and I'm like, you know what? These two PGA championships have been incredible. I've learned a ton. But now I'm tired of it being just like an experience. Like, I want to compete now. And I think the first one I went into in Charlotte, like, I just want to enjoy the week. I'm going to have my family out. This could be one of one. There's no guarantees I'll ever make it again. 
Beth Page is like, okay, I kind of understand how this week is going to go down. I kind of, you know, I'm doing interviews left and right. You're doing all these things that it's not normal to me. And I remember leaving that week. I'm like, you know what? If I get another chance, I know exactly how to do this now. I, I know the travel. I know who I'm going to bring with me. I know this team that I need and how to be successful. So fast forward during COVID was Harding Park which was really weird because there were no fans. So I couldn't travel with anybody. We literally had to stay quarantined between the hotel and the golf course. Like you could not do anything, but I get out there and I'm like, this feels like normal. Like there's no one there. The pressure of having thousands and thousands of people in front of you isn't there, but it's still a major. And I get paired with Rich Beam and I think Sean McKeel again, ironically, must've liked me. And we're out there and I'm like, this is the best opportunity I have because this just feels like the three of us, you know, we could go out and play right now and it would feel very similar. There's still cameras and shit, but so I go out and I play and I shoot, what, I shoot like two, four over. I missed the cup by two shots, I think, which sucked um, because again, I had shifted my focus from enjoying the week to I can compete out here. I remember Tuesday, I warmed up right next to Tiger. Um, they got some cool TV coverage from that. I got some cool pictures and I'm not nervous anymore. I'm like, I've become friends with a lot of these guys on tour. You know, I had had some starts on the PGA tour with the exemptions that I won. And so these guys are starting to kind of know me, which again is very surreal, but they like, I'm in the locker room and they come up to me, they say, hi, you know, I'm playing practice rounds with them. Like we're just one, one of the guys. And I think they really respected, you know, how I got there. I certainly wasn't handed everything. Um, I've had a ton of support, but at the end of the day, like you just got to go play golf. And so to your point, when that PGA came up, like I felt comfortable, which again, is something I don't think you can achieve outside of just going through it. Um, So I left that week, like, very encouraged but disappointed it would have been unbelievable to play a weekend um (laughs) i am tired of asking the question of like why haven't i and it's hard you know when you think about making a cut it's finishing in the top 70 out of 156 of the best players in the world so go play 36 holes and you got to beat them all it's tough but i look at that that leaderboard again no one else is doing this but me and it's not even something I'm posting, but I look down, I'm like, oh man, I beat Tiger. Okay. I beat these guys. I beat, you know, think about it. I beat half the field. Noah didn't make the cut. So people would think, oh, you know, mission failed. But like I left there with a, uh, just another sense of confidence and then parlay that to uh, what would be the next one? Kiowa. Go to Kiowa, make it again. Um, you know, been lucky to play well in this club pro national championship, which again, because of these PGA tour starts and all these tournaments that I get to play, both pro members, invites, whatever, I'm so comfortable there because I've won it. I know I can compete against those guys. I know how to prepare for it. I know how I can be successful. You know, the one validation I don't have yet is like doing it on the PGA tour. And I think that would be the greatest thing is to like get over that hump and now be like, you know what? I can do it. And just that little voice in the back of your head, means a lot especially when you're out there and, and you're trying to like convince yourself that everything is okay so i go to kiowa i play great play in the afternoon i shoot i don't even know what i shot a couple over which i think was like tied for 50th again that's 
like beat top mm. 10 players in the world. Like, okay, go out the next morning. I'm like, I got a really good chance to make the cut. And unfortunately on the 12th hole, my third hole of the day, I make a swing and my lower back just completely goes out. And it was the most painful, I guess what, 14 holes and change that I had but I didn't want to quit like the adrenaline of being out there, being in front of the fans, any other round I'm done. I mean, it took months to recover from, um, still not a hundred percent, but very unfortunate, uh, just bad timing. And you know, there's, that's life. I've had some bad timing throughout this journey and not everything has gone perfectly, but you know, again, you live and learn. Um, and then this last year, you mentioned the club pro championship. I had to go into a playoff, which, to for the 20th spot you know it's a hard 20 and i didn't play great during the week i tried some i had some new clubs in the bag which i regret but um i finished strong and ended up waiting around for a few hours and went into this playoff which that's one of the most stressful things i've ever done i mean i think i was the first one in the house and i had to wait for maybe two and a half hours to kind of see how things unfolded and you know, it's, it's just nervy. Cause I want to be back in the PGA championship. Like I feel like I belong in that tournament now. It would be such a disappointment to not make it. And I get the opportunity and it's a four for three and we play one of the hardest holes on the course, especially for me as a lefty. And, you know, I, people will talk about the chip in, which was pretty epic. I'll be honest. Um, but the shot before that out of the bunker was, I mean, that was probably the hardest shot I had all week. And, you know, it's just one of those moments where everything is on the line and I'm relying on all this past experience that we've kind of talked about to calm the nerves and, and tell myself, listen, I'm the best player in this group. And not to be cocky, but you kind of have to have that mindset. Like you kind of have to have that killer instinct. And, and you know, and I've watched that video hundreds of times and, you know, like people gave me shit because I didn't like celebrate after. And I'm like, it's hard for you to understand like how in the zone I really was. Like I hit the chip, it rolled down, it went in, you know, two things. One, it's a position I expected to be in. So I'm not going to act like it's, you know, a surprise, but two, like I was literally focused on the task at hand. Like there was no let up until I got through that playoff. And I remember walking back to my caddy, I kind of tossed him my wedge and he kind of hits me on the back and I walk away from the green and I'm just like, oh, okay. Like this is over. We're good. I'm like, all right, now we can like celebrate a little bit and go have a hundred white paws. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I would have had a two and a half hour wait, I would have had so many gin and tonics. They wouldn't even be able to play in the, in the playoff. Dude, it, that's <laughs> the worst part. Because listen, I just played 72 holes. It's hot. Like this golf course is a complete hike. The, last, the only thing I want is a beer. I just want to have a drink with my family. People were in town watching and I can't because I'm like, if I have to go in this playoff, like I can't be all boned up. Like I could, but you know, that's rolling the dice and not knowing who's going to show up. And the other hard thing is like, you know, my mom's sitting there and I love her to death, but she's watching the TV and she kind of knows my position. So she's like cheering for people and booing for people, like depending as they're coming in. <laughs> oh yes. He missed a part. Like mom, you can't say that. So like I've learned I have to like remove myself. So I had to go to like the range and just like hang out and like do nothing for a couple hours, which is just painful. Yeah. So oh good. 
was gonna say a little little cut off there. I think we we ended with your your mom doing the the most Minnesotan thing ever and and quietly booing and cheering on other love competitive the, dots. Love the, the passive the aggressiveness. Yeah, the problem was it wasn't quiet. Like she's in the <laughs> bar, you know, and like we're all nervous and and it's awesome. Like you know, again, sharing this experience with my parents, it's awesome. It's unbelievable. Um, my aunt and uncle usually come out. Uh, they're from Eden Prairie, and like you know, she's more nervous about it than I am. Like, I kind of understand what's going on and what's likely going to happen. And I'm shot because it's been a long week. But yeah, I've learned I have to like remove myself. So I had to leave them kind of in the bar as much as that's the only place I really wanted to be at that point in time. But like the job wasn't done. So I go to the range, we go out to the playoff, I'm lucky enough to get through it. And I will share the worst part of winning, whether it's the tournament or this playoff, is and no one else sees this you get pulled around doing like media stuff for about the next hour to hour and a half hmm. so like when i won in 2019 all i wanted to do is like have a drink again with my family celebrate whatever you're getting toted around doing all these photos and then it was carrying the trophy this time at least i didn't have the trophy but i had to go do a bunch of stuff so like by the time i got to have a white claw you know, after all the stuff with ESPN and whoever, CBS, NBC, uh, you know, it's like an hour and a half later and they're tired and they're half in the bag now. And I'm trying to play catch up and um, yeah, just a crazy series of events. There's no no other way to put that. So you're, you're saying if we're ever in contention of a golf tournament, we should uh, pre-fill the golf bag full of the necessary equipment and booze to get us through the media session. Absolutely. I mean, there should always be provisions in the back. I mean, well, you we're, should pre- we're old hands at that on the old Break 80 podcast. Oh, well, yeah. Man. And here's the thing. It comes down to just knowing yourself. Like, I have a very uh, unique warm-up in the sense that I usually don't. Um, you know, I've, I'm pretty well known for kind of just getting out of the car and going right to the tee. Uh and it works for me. You know, it, it's definitely not work for everybody. Tour events are a little different, but um, I would say I've got a little reputation for that or like I enjoy having a good time. So, you know, you might see me out the night before having a few with the boys and still show up the next day and get the work done. Uh, so maybe that's more relatable to everyone else out there. And are we are we going to go for the tour, Mike? It sounds like we're we've got the acumen for this. We yeah, have... I, I, I feel like we're basically twins, Alex, other than you're much better than me. But uh, I, if I get there two minutes before a tea time, that's early. So, correct. Yeah. Listen, there's a reason I have a fast car. It's just to make sure I can get there. <laughs> and you mentioned some back pain too. I know Mike is is coming coming out of some some back pain. Uh, oh my god, getting old sucks. I hate it. Yeah. Telling me, man. Any anything that you did in particular to uh, to get back on on track as both of us get out of the car after some of our road trips and complain for the next hour, hour and a half about how bad it hurts. Yeah, it sucks. Getting old is beat. No one tells you about this. I mean, they do, but, you know, it was an interesting thing. Um, a few years ago, I got pretty serious about at least understanding fitness and how it pertains to golf. I mean, I've kind of chosen this career path and and I want to be very good at it. And you, one of the things I look at tour players and, I think that's changed a lot in the last number of years, you know, kind of yesterday's tour pro versus what you see out there now. Um, I mean, these guys are very serious about it. I mean, I've got good friends on tour, top 20 players in the world, 
that I see their regiment. I mean, and they have someone for everything. They've got trainers coming to their hotel three hours before their tournament. They've got a nutritionist there that they can afford it. They've got a chef. And it really like, it's this aha moment. Like, yes, you're playing a sport, but as a golfer, as any athlete, like your body is so important. And unfortunately in golf, like everything has to be in pretty good working order or it's all shit. And so, you know, I got very serious about working out. I've got an unbelievable, you know, uh, group of guys who I rely on chiropractors, trainers, um, and physical, uh, personal trainers, physical therapists, whatever. And they've really gone over like how it works for me as a left-handed golfer. I have serious deficiencies in certain areas. And so I got serious about it. And I think maybe the one thing that happened leading up to that at Kiowa was maybe I overdid it. I was probably in the best shape of my life. I was working out every single day. Um, I was strong, like I was hitting the ball far and it just went. So when that happened, as disappointed as I was, we're like, all right, how do I fix this? And to be honest, I just kind of toned it back. Like I still stretch a lot. Flexibility is important, um, but I'm not throwing around the weight that I used to. Um, you know, I'll just have to accept being a smaller version of myself, but, you know, just, just understanding the, the stress of travel, um, the stress of playing golf weeks in a row, new beds, you know, sitting on airplanes, hydration, you know, how food affects how you're going to feel, how playing heat versus cold. Like, it's just all these things that you can kind of simplify it, but it does take a lot of understanding and, and discipline to do. And listen, I still drink, I eat, I eat very well, but at the same time, I eat Taco Bell, like it's moderation. And I think feeling well physically boils down to so many of these things and you don't have to be like all in on it, but I think every little conscious decision you can make stretching, foam rolling, having a chiropractor or a personal trainer, you know, at least on call, um, what they can do to your body will help you so much. Um, whether you're trying to break 80 or break 70 or break a hundred, you know, as we all get older, you know, as I'm teaching people come to me and say, oh, I'd really love to hit it further, you know, 20 yards, like, all right, that's a deeper conversation. You know, there's things you have to do physically to do that. But I think the people that are really successful, they get into some kind of a routine as little or detailed as it is, every little thing that you do will help. Um, and, and again, it comes down to, it's like taking a test, you know, as we used to cram for a test back in the day, you're trying to shove so much in at the last second, it's never going to work out. But if you do a little bit every day and you kind of get your body used to that, all of a sudden things tend to work pretty well. Um, and I guess I would follow the same philosophy with uh, front, back and side pain and everything else that tends to go wrong on the golf course. Sounds like stick to your consistency on your, your water massaging bed there, Mike. That's uh, exactly. great. It's uh, tonight, <laughs> 10 minutes uh, water hydro massage. I'm still not convinced you use the weights over there at all. Uh, a few minutes here and there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the number of courses you've, you've uh, had the privilege of, of working at is, is quite long. Do you have a favorite course um, out of the ones that you've, you've played so far or out of the ones that you've, you've worked out so far uh, and then follow up to that favorite PGA tour event that you played at? Sure. Great question. Um, I mean, I've been so lucky to travel and play unbelievable places. Um, I typically answer that question with a tie for first being Cypress point and Fisher's Island. Um, 
one thing I've learned about myself, whether I knew it or not, is I really love playing golf on the water. Um, like Casa de Campo in the Dominican is one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, yes, they also do sponsor me, but that is not a plug. That is just, there's something I find so serene. And I think part of it's being from Minnesota, like albeit those are lakes, but I appreciate golf architecture in places that it's just so unique. Um, you know, Valderrama in Spain was incredible. Um, you know, Sea Island, Kiowa, you know, I've been lucky to play in Hawaii. I've played up and down California. I've played, you know, everywhere in Florida. And there's just something I really love about how golf blends with nature. And that's not like, I'm going to get deep about this. I'm not a bird lot. I don't, but it's just, there's something about being on a golf course and looking around and just like taking in the sights. Desert Mountain's a great example. Like I remember driving home every day from there and like the sun setting and it's just beautiful. Um, so those tend to be my favorite courses. Like I've been lucky to play Pine Valley. I've played Shinnecock. I've played, you know, up and down everywhere. Um, I, and, and I've also answered this question a lot of ways. Like, listen, I could go out with three great people and we could play the local Muni and I could have just as much, if not a better time than playing Augusta with people that I don't really enjoy. Um, I think that's also just the honest thing about golf. Like that's what we all enjoy. You know, I listen, I have more fun going out and playing with the boys in a gas cart with a bunch of Bud Lights than I do playing in the PGA tour, you know, that there's different levels to it, but at the core, I just enjoy what golf allows people to do. It allows four strangers, 35 strangers, a hundred strangers to go and like just have this bash where they get to know each other and you, you have fun, but um, favorite PGA tour event that I've played, I would say of the five PGA championships, the ones I enjoyed the most Southern Hills was incredible. Um, unbelievable golf course. I played great until that weather Friday morning, the people there. Um, so awesome. I mean, so many people came out to watch. Uh, it felt a lot like Charlotte, Quill Hollow, which was probably my favorite because it was my first um, outside of that. I mean, I played and, and you can kind of see the commonality with water. Like I got to pick these exemptions and I played Dominican, Puerto Rico, Hawaii. Um, I played the farmers at Torrey Pines. I played uh, the travelers. That was kind of a home game. It was kind of a toss up between that and a 3M um, just to kind of play by friends and family. And so, you know, I just love playing on the water and each tournament has had such kind of a unique storyline for me. And, and obviously COVID was kind of in the middle, which made things really difficult. I mean, I had corn fairy status for two years and didn't get one start, uh, which was pretty painful. Um, Cause at the time, you know, going into 2020, I had the PGA championship, six PGA tour starts and corn fairy status. So the, the hope was to play golf full time. And unfortunately, you know, blessed that we all got through COVID healthy and this and that, but it really kind of squashed that opportunity, which was kind of a bummer because I think under the right circumstances and I had done the work and built the team to, to be successful out there and to have that kind of derail it. It is what it is like life goes on, but you know, there, there's no bad weeks out there. There's a lot of interesting things that have happened with this live tour and PGA tour, but you know, professional golf is uh it's a pretty crazy vocation. Um, a lot of good. Uh, some things are pretty tough, but, um, you know, I, 
I have just as much fun out there as I might just, you know, again, if we go play Stillwater Country Club, it would be, you know, there's uh there's no bad golf. I got a southern yeah, how many... question for you. Oh, go um, ahead. The bunkers, they got they it got the bunkers got a lot of a lot of uh news because because the pros were complaining about it. Are we talking that it was that big of a difference or are we just pampered pampered professionals here? At Southern Hills. Yep. Uh, I would be on the side of complaining. I don't like to complain a lot, but what they're talking about there, like the, the golf course is unbelievable. I mean, it is a massive golf course. It is tough, but it's fair. Like there's no, there's no BS. Like, and we all know what that is. There's no creeks coming out of places and this and that. But the issue is the greens were so difficult and the sand in those bunkers is almost like lake sand or river sand where it's basically a bunch of little pebbles you know a lot of times when you play like a certainly a a major championship quality golf course um you know the bunker is often the biggest critique because you know better players would like to be in a bunker because you can get spin typically the rough is super long and tough but like you know the northeast or even the midwest like you get these kind of fine sands or some of them even like seashells and you can get spin on the ball and southern hills these bunkers were so deep and the sand there again was like this little rock and you just you can't spin the ball the ball kind of comes out dead and the other issue that we had like a very serious issue was as players keep hitting bunker shots you know you sometimes you see like sand on the greens and you can kind of brush it away well with all these little pebbles you went to brush it away and they would kind of come up and go straight back down you had to pick everyone up individually and move it because they were they're making your ball bounce on the green eventually round two they started coming out and the groundskeepers had blowers and so it made it difficult like you if you short-sided yourself in a bunker hitting it to like 10 to 15 feet was about as good as you can do and i guess the complaint for those guys and listen (laughs) when you get on tour there's a lot of things you forget about like the rest of the world but the conditions they're used to are so good and anytime you see a slight change off of that, you're going to probably hear some complaints. Um, so I think it was it was right to say, but that golf course was also incredible. Um, it just the sand of the bunkers made it really tough to spin the ball. And I think that's where most of the guys found their frustration. So you mentioned uh, picking up the clubs, a couple buddies. How many strokes are we getting? I'm a I'm a three handicap. Mike's a plus two, and he lies and says he's I'm not scratch. a plus. No, 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 no. It's back to scratch now. The last the last two months were perfect, but back back and to scratch. Literal sandbag. Where it should be because the handicap is bullshit system. You're full of pebbles. Well, all right. And I I couldn't agree more. And and I I identify as a zero, so it sounds like I'm getting two. <laughs> oh my god! This and I might be giving you three. <laughs> Next thing All you right. know, next thing you know, this match will have, we'll bring my putting to Wingfoot there next door, and then we'll see how that holds up. Exactly, it's all the same. <laughs> in the ball in the hole. Yeah. So there was an interview with you a little while back, um, and and the comment was Alex that that you felt like your your game was on par, could could keep it on par with uh, any one of the pros. There wasn't there wasn't any amount of gap. I've watched almost every stroke that you've hit admittedly on the PGA tour on the, the fanboy real oh, fanboy yeah. here is wow in fact uh you should come to the 3m we'd have had him going we'd have blown up beach balls they would have been all over the stands i know i'm working like, on it 
what's the weakest part of your game? Because I definitely watched some of your putting on a, a few a few holes throughout your career, and uh, it seems like proximity to the hole was good. Um, but much like the rest of us on this podcast, Jeff not included, he's an excellent putter. We just seem to close some of the holes. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think about it a lot. I get asked it a lot. I think the strengths of my game, not like this is an interview where I have to turn like weaknesses into strengths, like that nonsense. I typically drive it well. I've got a pretty good short iron and wedge game. I can get up and down from anywhere. And if putting is good, then I shoot really low scores. Um, I've got a putter now, like in this kind of to trace it back to other conversations, like I've tried everything. Um, I've definitely improved on putting a lot. And, you know, at my level, you know, if I play well and I hit a lot of fairways and I hit a lot of greens, you know, I should expect to shoot under par. And the days I putt well, you shoot 65, 66, 67. On days where you don't have it going, maybe you shoot even. Um, so the weaknesses of my game, I would say maybe long irons. I mean, that's always been a tough thing for me. I'm pretty steep. It's a little bit of a hockey swing. Um, so I've struggled with that. But, you know, again, I've, I've really found a way over the last few years and, and realizing that, listen, I've watched every shot that I've had out there too. And, um, you know, putting's tough. I think the putting thing is so challenging because conditions are ever changing. Grasses change, speed of greens change. Um, and that's always something people want to improve. You know, I look at like Denny McCarthy is a friend of mine and, you know, his putting stats or he led the tour for like many years. I remember playing with him and there's just guys that are good. Um, and, and one thing as you try to round out golf is you've got to excel in a few things and not really suck at anything. And I think I'm at that point. Like I would say one of my strengths is figuring out a way to make par. If I'm out of position, I've got the creative enough mindset. I can do enough with the ball to get back. I can get up and down. I spend a ton of time on my short game. I love the creativity side of chipping and pitching. I think as a teacher and a player, that's one thing that most amateurs don't spend enough time doing. And it could be because the, the facilities that they get to play don't have it. But, you know, I watch people sit on driving range for hours and rip seven irons and drivers off of a perfectly flat lie. No one's spending that amount of time chipping and pitching. And by the way, I think it's more fun. Um, and then there's putting. Putting is probably the most boring thing to practice mm -hmm. a lot. Um, it's not sexy. It's not fun. But, you know, in an average round, you spend 25% of your shots putting, maybe more. Uh, so it's important, but I've just, I found a way to make it work. Listen, like the better wedge player you are, the better putter are because you hit it closer. Um, and to your point to proximity to the hole, you know, like I had a tournament last week and had a bunch of things going on, but, you know, there's, there's days when everything seemingly goes in. There's days where seemingly everything lips out. I've just come to kind of be numb to that and and that's helped me a lot in my happiness because i don't put as much weight into every round as i used to i used to get pissed off don't get me wrong i hated it i hate losing i still do um but i also have to kind of normalize it you know it's it's hard out there it's such a difficult game and um you know but i would say that my my, my weaknesses used to be putting long irons and then just kind of believing that I belonged out there. And I think over time, those are things I've started to change. And 
that's what's allowed me to have so much success over the last, you know, certainly two, three, four, five years. Well, I've just got one, uh, well, I guess two last questions. Um, what's the future hold for you, Alex? Is it, is it more, uh, PGA professional teaching championships and, and will we see you at the next PGA championship proper, um, or, uh, a commitment or return back to corn Ferry? What, what do you think the next couple of years holds? Well, it's a great question. Um, I went back to Corn Ferry Q School uh, two years ago. So once I lost my status after COVID and I missed getting my card back by two shots, um, which stinks. And again, I learned a lot about that lifestyle. Um, you know, I'm 33 now, so I'm not a kid anymore in some regards. And you see some of these guys coming out of college and it's tough. I mean, you know, listen, it's it's an amazing job um, for some people. So I kind of took that as like, okay, if I'm not going to have status, like, you know, I'm lucky I get to play so many tournaments, um, you know, through the PGA, the network that, that I've had. And, and so there's no shortage of events and I'm very lucky to be able to say that. Um, I went back to Q school this last year, just a couple months ago and didn't get through. So, you know, I'm definitely not giving up on that. Um, but that for me right now is kind of if I got through Q school and got my card, I would commit to it and play 100%. If I don't, then I'm going to stay in the world of, uh, you know, teaching up at Westchester and and competing in the PGA National Championship and hopefully, you know, be at another PGA Championship at Oak Hill this spring. Um, and, you know, for, I like, I've come to terms with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the, the travel thing is tough. Um, you know, I want to compete at a high level and I'm lucky I can do that either way, but deep down, I'll, I will say if I ever get my card back, it is something I would, uh, absolutely chase. Mike, did you have anything, anything left have, before uh, this last, uh, yeah. Being that we got a titleist guy here, I yeah. have a, an equipment question. I don't know if you play this ball, the left dot pro V one that Finau won with, I checked today. It was all over the internet. They are selling for $170 a dozen on eBay. There they are. So is it that for, you know, for guys like us, we probably wouldn't notice, but you know, really good players like you, is it that noticeable? It's amazing golf ball. So great question. Um, <laughs> I've got a funny story of how I got turned on to left dot and I'll tell you why I play it. Um, I played, the Sony Open in Hawaii in two, I want to say 2020, probably right before COVID. And this was right after like the Patrick Reed might have used a shovel in the Bahamas. Maybe he didn't fiasco. And so our lockers were right next to each other. So played the tournament. Unfortunately, we both missed the cut. Just, you know, another guy that I tied. And we're cleared out our lockers and I see he's got like two dozen of these left dot pro V one sitting there and he had left. And, you know, it's kind of common practice. You leave stuff behind for the locker room guys, you leave them a tip. And so, you know, you get hats and balls and gloves every week and no one wants to travel with them. So I was like, Oh, I never tried those. So I take them and I just replace them with regular pro V's that I was playing. And I come back to Florida and I just set them in, you know, I've got a shelf in the garage with all my stuff on it. And I don't know, a month or two later, I'm going out to play around with some buddies and I just go to grab more balls and I get out on the first tee and I have this left dot Pro V1 in my hand. And I'm like, oh man, 
because the only other ball to that point I had heard of was the star. And what I know of the ball is the star is like the highest spinning Pro B1. So for like the, your listeners, there's probably, I don't know, eight to 12 golf balls that Titleist actually makes. You know, we, on like the Pro V1 level, um, we, we saw Left Dash make an appearance in some stores. Left Dot, they've kind of kept close to the heart and coveted. I don't think you can really buy those, which would explain the eBay prices. Um, so I go out and play and I'm like, oh man, this ball is going to be spinny. It's super windy out that day. And I play like five holes and this ball is just penetrating through the wind. I'm like, holy shit. So I text my Titleist guy and I'm like, dude, what are these things? And he's like, oh, so what the left dot is, is the lowest spinning Pro V1. It's actually a formula from like 2013. So it, it's an old ball by today's technology. Oh, we're going and, back we're going on the eBay tonight. 2013 Pro. <laughs> They're like $200 a dozen. It's crazy. Yeah, well, the, and the reason why you just can't get them. I mean, it, they Titleist still has these other balls. And you'll hear guys like, I saw an interview today of like Seamus Power talking about he just switched to the 23 Pro V1X. And he previously played the 19 Pro V1. Like, guys don't always switch. I think like a ton of guys played the 17X. And it's just different formulas of balls. And of what they'll do if, as they phase them out is they'll just give them a different characteristic. So like the left dot or the star or the left dash. It's just different models that they don't make for the general public. Um, I've played the left dot now entirely for the last, gosh, this going on three years. Um, I think it's incredible. Now I have ball tested it next to the new Pro V1 and the X. They're not that different. So by no means does the average golfer, they're probably not going to see a huge benefit out of it. Um, I mean, I'm a, I've been a Titleist guy my entire career. I think they make the best product out there, uh, certainly for the golf ball. Um, the Pro V1 is the best fitting ball for every player. Maybe Pro V1X, you know, you can look at the characteristics and which one you might need more of. The left dot is just it's a softball that penetrates through the wind in an unbelievable way. So most of the golf that I play is in windy environments, and that's why I've stuck with it. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny when you see guys like Finau win with it and just the uproar that you get. But uh, no, it's not world changing. But I also do think it's uh, I mean, it's the best ball for me, and, and I love it. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Tim's going to be dozen. I got, I got, I'm sitting on a gold mine. There you go. Tim's going to be scouring the internet for refurbished left dots. <laughs> no, 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 I don't have that gold mine. Drugs don't sell that well. I'm going to be looking for the 2013 Pro V1. Pro V1. <laughs> 2013 really bring me back to my, my, uh, my college days there just coming out of college. Well, exactly. That's when we were all playing better, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No back pain back then. Right. Exactly. Uh, so some sad news out of Minnesota and yourself growing up here in, in the state, uh, really starting your golf career here. Uh, we had Joel Goldstrand pass away, uh, Minnesota uh, golf architect. I know that you mentioned really growing up on Oak Glen then Stillwater, really staying to the east side. But two courses came to mind that you might know. Uh, New Richmond Golf Club in New Richmond, Wisconsin, and St. Croix National, which he helped not do the full design, but a, a considerable redo and expansion of the course uh just want to see if you had a favorite joel goldstrand design or one that you played most frequently back in the state of minnesota 
you know, it's a great question. And yeah, very sad to learn of his passing. Um, I've played St. Croix National. Um, I know when you and I talked ahead of this interview, uh, most of the courses he designed, I haven't played. And and it's it's tough for me because I still, you know, obviously I'm from Minnesota. I still list that as my hometown. But, you know, once I left for high school, I haven't been back a ton. And so the majority of my golf career, if you will, has been outside of the state of Minnesota. Um, but obviously the courses that you name that he designed incredibly well-known, um, you know, everyone, all my family that's still back there played them a ton and they're awesome. So, uh, I guess by virtue of elimination, St. Croix National would have to take the cake, but, um, you know, and again, and I, I say this too, and I was talking with Andy Smith yesterday when we played, um, who's at Hazeltine, you know, there's no shortage of fantastic golf in Minnesota. And I'm so, you know, as much as I travel and I tell people I'm from Minnesota, obviously I've been on the East coast a while now, but everyone says the same thing to me when they've gone to Minnesota, a it's cold as hell. And I'm like, yeah, you went at the wrong time, but B for those that went in the summer, you know, the, the level of golf in that state is truly incredible. Um, you know, from everything in the cities to all the courses up in Brainerd, we have a cabin up there and I'm lucky when I sneak up there, you know, go play Madden's and go play Craggins and play the Pines and the preserve and all these courses that I was, you know, those I got to play when I was a kid, but uh, yeah, there's, there's so much. The Pines. Is that a gold strand? That is a Joel Goldstrand original right there. Then there, and there we go. Then that by by far takes the cake. I tell he I redes- he, he did the redesign at Bemidji Town and Country Club, one of my uh, hidden gems in Minnesota. There you go. Love that. Well, well, excellent. Glad that is settled. And Alex, thank you again for your time. Uh, I look forward to seeing you more on on TV as as I watch any golf clip that passes my screen in my purview with your name on it and. Hope that uh, hope that eventually we see that uh, either that live money go your way, or uh, <laughs> be an exemption here to the 3M tour so we can get some beach balls going from the local fans. No, that would be awesome and, and great to catch up with you guys. Appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, hopefully be back in Minnesota when the weather warms up a little bit, and we'll we'll get out there and tee it up. Yeah, now that I know absolutely. I'm getting two shots, let's go. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I folks. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna be coming to New York too because Tim and I need to take on Beth Page Black for his top hundred. So we're, we're gonna be we're gonna be looking you up out there. Call anytime. You guys are always welcome. I'll I'll show you how to navigate Long Island traffic and I'll take you to Kitchen Cabaret. Oh, oh yeah, I love it. There we go. Is that the four or the S six that you have? What's that? What's the what's the Audi that you have still? Uh, SQ five. SQ five. Okay. The yeah, uh, you need the SUV yeah. with all the potholes. So still yeah. fast, but you got to be able to. You got to be able to get in someone's rearview mirror when you're driving. It's all about presence on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Tim would do just fine. We, I, it's amazing we're even having this interview after Tim and I went golfing in Chicago, and my life was literally in danger the entire time. Got to drive it like you stole it. I mean, it's Chicago. <laughs> well, in New York, that's I think that's the state motto. So, yeah, yeah. it's a different world, but it it can be good if you know what to look out for. <laughs> all right, thanks a lot, Alex. <laughs> no, my you. pleasure. Guys. Maybe today's the day I brigade thee. Want the ball to draw, but it keeps on fading. No OB and no bogeys. I gotta keep it on the 80 as the gold. Well, you hit it on one. 
straight up the gut, baby. Now I got a wedge on my short game cravings. Little bit of edge on the sport makes gravy. So punch out the rough and tune to break 80. Break 80.